Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. About eight months ago, I started walking with a friend of mine. He'd just recently gotten saved. I got to be part of that process. It was extremely exciting. He's a little older than I am, and for the first time in his life, he experienced the love of God. And after having lived about 50 years without that, it was overwhelming to him, and his eyes were were very, very opened. And so we talked on a very regular basis. And after about six weeks, he called me and he said, hey, uh, something weird is going on. I said, all right, what's going on? He said, I feel like I'm supposed to do something about my job. I'm supposed to look for another job. I'm so, I don't know what it is. It's not that there's anything wrong. I just feel it's just stirring around inside me and I've never felt this way before. I enjoy what I do. I don't know what else to do. And I've been at my company a long time. So I don't understand what's cooking. Why is that rattling around inside of me? And I said, hey, look, that's the Lord. (laughs) He's trying to tell you something. So take heed of what he's saying. Okay, that didn't come from your natural mind. You just said you like your job. So we talked over a couple more weeks. And I would question a little here and a little there. Hey, how's it going? And he'd tell me, well, I talked to this guy and I talked to that guy and talked to my wife. But he was missing a key ingredient. He hadn't been going back to the Lord with it to get any more details. And about six weeks after that, I get a phone call and I answer my phone. I go, what's up, brother? (laughs) And you could hear in the silence the pressure and the weight that was on him. It was tangible. You could touch it over the phone. And I said, man, Just talk when you can. So after a couple of minutes, he finally gathered enough strength and enough breath to be able to say, I went into work today and they fired me. I just lost my job and I have no idea what to do. And in that moment, I knew something that he didn't know because I've been doing this for 25 years as a Christian. But I knew that he was now facing his very first journey into the wilderness. Now, I could stand on this side of it because I've been there, but he hadn't. And so I began to try to walk through that with him. And so maybe that's you here tonight. Maybe you've got something stirring around in there. You're not sure what it is. Maybe you just had to take the first step into a wilderness today or in the recent past. Or maybe you're already halfway into the wilderness. Or maybe... If you've been a Christian very long, you've been through a wilderness trek or two. I know you have, and you're on this side of the wilderness. But there'll be another wilderness experience that comes because God does something in the wilderness. And so that's what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk about the wilderness experience. So in your notes, if you'll go to Exodus 2, 23 through 25, and stop that clock for me for about 15 minutes. Just kidding. Years passed and the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he looked down on the people of Israel 
and he knew it was time to act. Let me give you some backstory here. If if you're not real familiar with this account in the Bible, Joseph was a Jew. He was one of the first original Israelites, if you will. His father was Jacob. God renamed Jacob, called him Israel. And so Joseph was one of the patriarchs, one of the heads of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. So the nation of Israel came out of them, and Joseph was one of those guys. And he had a crazy, crazy journey into Egypt. But when he finally ended up in Egypt, he eventually found himself as the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh's right hand. And there was a famine in the land, and God gave him wisdom on how to carry everybody through this famine. And so because of that, he had great favor, and he brought his whole family there to survive the famine. But this says that that the king died. Joseph also died. And it says that a king came to power that, that didn't care about Joseph. He didn't care about him. He didn't want to know anything about him. All he knew is that he was freaked out by the vast number of Israelites that were in his land. And he got afraid and he said, man, if we don't do something about this, if they decide that they want to take over, man, they they will. So we better put them all in slavery and we better shackle them up. And so for about the next 140 or so years, the Israelites lived as slaves. For about 60 roughly years before that, they had lived in prosperity and peace with a favor on them and and everybody loved them because they had delivered everyone. In chapter two, Moses is born. He's raised by uh, the daughter of the Pharaoh. He kills an Egyptian taskmaster that was beaten one of the Israelites. He takes off to another country, and he's there for 40 years, and in that 40 years, he gets married. That covers 25 verses. A little bit, 40 years, 25 verses. That's crazy. And then chapters 3 through 12 begin to cover the divine orchestration of God's hand to get his children out of slavery and out of Israel and head them into what he called the promised land, the land flowing with milk and with honey. So this all started because something had to change, something had to give, and God's children had been crying out. And so it says that God heard them, and that's what started this whole thing moving. And so they found themselves starting on a journey. And here's the crazy thing about our journey into the wilderness. It's true for the Israelites, it's true for us today, and that's point number one. The timing usually doesn't seem to make sense. The timing usually doesn't seem to make sense. Now notice I said seem. I said that intentionally because it's only in the natural that it doesn't seem to make sense. We're gonna see that as we go through this account. In Exodus 12, 31 through 34 and verse 39, it says, during the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds, as you've said, and go and also bless me. There was some crazy stuff going on in Egypt and he needed their blessing. So they take off and the Egyptians urge the people to hurry and leave the country for otherwise they said, we will all die. Now check this out. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders and kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. With the dough the Israelites had brought from Egypt, they baked loaves of unleavened bread. 
The dough was without yeast because they'd been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. In the natural, it didn't make sense. Here it is, it's the middle of the night. What a horrible time to go on some journey where you don't even know where you're going, you don't have any food prepared, and you're being forced to go. He said, man, hit it, you gotta go. Man, you'd think God would have waited till at least in the morning they could have had him some good fluffy biscuits with yeast in them, and you know what I mean? No, he's like, hey, take it, hit the road, you're gonna eat some tortilla-looking stuff, you gotta go. It's crazy, it doesn't make sense, it doesn't seem to make sense. Letter A, what we've got to focus on in this though is that God's timing is best. God's timing is best and we're gonna see that. And it requires our attention to details. We gotta pay attention to the details like my brother that I was just talking about. God had been tapping him and stirring him and trying to tell him, hey partner, you need to look for a job. Because God knew what was coming. And so that's why he was stirring him with it if we look at the, the details, Exodus 12, 1 through 28, we won't put it on the screen because it is a lot of details. But God pulls Moses aside and he says, hey, here's the deal. This is everything you're gonna need to do. The trip is fixing to happen and here's how it's gonna start. And they had to do all these things, make all these preparations for the first Passover. If they wouldn't have paid attention to the details, if they wouldn't have paid attention, all of their firstborn would have died. They had to pay attention to the details. This is one of the most important reasons. I'm plugging a journal right here. If you don't journal, start. God will speak to you and when you journal about it, then you can go back. It may be a year later. I go back to my journals on a regular basis because God will thump something or something will happen and I'll go, man, I remember that. And I'll go back to a journal from four years ago and find where God had been preparing me from way back then all the way up so that today I'd be ready for what was coming. So journal, because trust me, if he's stirring in your heart, something's gonna happen and you're gonna need the details. B, the timing is about his plan and his plan is good. That really ought to say best. You know what, I blew that one. Make that last blank say best. They can't in the booth, that's my fault. The timing is about his plan and his plan is best. Exodus 3.8, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. This is God talking, by the way. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. That's a whole lot of ites, isn't it? You see, his plan is best. He loved them so much that he put all those people in that land to cultivate it and get it ready for their arrival. It says when they went and checked out the land that there were grapes this big in the land. God planned so well for them that he put all those folks there before. They developed it, they planted crops, they built buildings, they had everything in place because it was part of his plan. See, we have to remember God is omniscient. He's not like us. He knows all, he sees it all, and he's also omnipresent. That means he's everywhere, he's outside of time. He's not stuck in time like we are. And so before God ever said, let there be light, he had the plan prepared. He painted a picture, if you will. 
And in that picture, all the brush strokes came together so that it would end the way that he intended it. And that's how he sees it. But we only see these little snapshots. We see this little piece. If we could step outside of it the way God can see it, we'd see that it's good. And so we don't need to be stressed and worried about it. It's his best plan. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, he knows the plans that he has for you. He's not confused about it. And they're good plans. Number two, the path to the promised land runs through the wilderness. The path to the promised land runs through the wilderness. There's no other route, guys. There's no other way to get there. You're trying to step into what God has for you, his best, his promised land for you. You gotta go through the wilderness. There's no other way to get there. So just embrace it, and truthfully, after you've done it a couple times, you'll actually learn to relish it because there's some amazing things that happen when we're in the wilderness. But I'm gonna give you a couple of things to keep in mind as you're traveling through the wilderness. Letter A, the path was divinely planned. It wasn't happenstance. The path was divinely planned. That's past tense. Remember the picture. He laid it all out before. It's already done to him, okay? Exodus 13, 17 through 18, and the message says, it so happened that after Pharaoh released the people, that God didn't lead them by the road through the land of the Philistines, which was the shortest route. There was a shorter way to get there. For God thought, look at that, he had forethought about it. He thought about it all before they ever took off. If the people encounter war, they'll change their minds and go back to Egypt. So God led the people on the wilderness road. You gotta go through the wilderness. Looping around to the Red Sea, and the Israelites left Egypt in military formation. Another translation says that they left prepared for battle. They, were, they had their battle garments with them, if you will. Remember last week, Pastor David talked about always having your armor on? They had their armor on, but they didn't have to fight. They weren't ready for the fight yet. So we have to remember, this was not some, whatever it was that happened, maybe you lost your job. Maybe your relationship turned south on you and you didn't see it coming. You don't know what it's about. Can I tell you that God wasn't sitting in heaven when that happened and look over at Jesus and go, oh my gosh, Steve lost his job. What are we gonna do? Jim, and he, Jesus, how did you miss that? Oh my gosh. No, he already made a way. He already planned for that. And it's with your well-being in mind. You see that? He didn't want them to get in a fight and run back to slavery. It was with their well-being in mind that he routed them that way. <clears throat> Letter B, when we step out in this thing, we gotta follow the leader. We gotta follow the leader. Exodus 13, 21 through 22 says, by day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night, and neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. God wants to lead you through the wilderness. That's a hard one for some of us. Can I tell you, maybe it's just me, maybe some of these other men in here will represent, man, I like, driving the car. I don't want to let go of the wheel. I want to take it where it's going. I don't want anybody else driving the vehicle. I want to run the show. 
But when you're doing this, you can't. You got to follow him because you don't want to get stuck out there. You got to follow his path. You got to follow our leader. Got to follow your leader. Number three, the wilderness trek is one that we have to walk. This is one that we have to walk. Exodus 12, 37 through 38. The Israelites journey from Ramses to Succoth, Sukkoth, something like that. Somebody smarter than me can give me that one. There were about 600,000 men, and check it out, they were on foot besides women and children. Many other people went up with them and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. We're talking easily over a million people here. Notice it doesn't say they jumped in their chariots. It doesn't say that they jumped on their horses. No, they were on foot. Our trek through the wilderness is one that we've got to walk. You know, our nature, we like things quick. My gosh, we'll take a Pop-Tart. It amazes me. We'll take a Pop-Tart that you can stick in a toaster and in less than three minutes, have it back to put butter on it and eat it. And we'll stick it in the microwave so we can have it in 30 seconds. Isn't that crazy? But this isn't like that. This is one you got to walk it out and you got to take your time because God's leading the show. It's not about us being in charge. We've got to let him lead us. Letter A, he reveals steps, not the entire journey. He reveals steps, not the entire journey. And this is one of the reasons that we have to walk it out. Exodus 13, 22, what we, what we just read up above, it says that that pillar of cloud or that pillar of fire was in front of them every single day to lead them. And I've heard great messages on, man, it provided shade for them because it was hot and it provided warmth and light at night. And I'm going to say, yes, I agree with those things. But if you, I looked up in the Hebrew, this word pillars, and I'm not going to give it to you because Pastor David said, I can't preach unless I give a Hebrew or Greek word. I'm not going to give it to you. But the word for pillars, it's talking about a large pillar, like, uh, like one of those large marble ones that you would see in a Colosseum. You know, you're talking, that thing is six, eight foot around. And so imagine here's this giant pillar and you're standing right here behind it. You can't see what's on the other side. You're waiting on it to move so you can only take it a step at a time. He only reveals it to us in steps. He can't show us the whole journey. Truth be told, if he showed us the whole journey, we probably wouldn't take it. I mean, I'll just tell you, when I got saved at 19, had Jesus walked up to me on that loading dock where I was working and said, hey man, I love you, I wanna take you to heaven. I got some good stuff for you there. But before you get there, uh, you and your wife, there's gonna be some problems. And your kids, man, they're gonna tell you your son's gonna have a heart murmur. It's gonna be okay, I got that. You're gonna get freaked about it. Your other son, they're gonna tell you he's gonna be deaf. It's okay, I got that one too. And your daughter, your daughter's gonna go through some heartbreak. Her knees are gonna be messed up for a couple of years, but she's not gonna to have to have surgery. And, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> you didn't even realize you were married yet. By the way, I give you a wife. Man, I'd have been like, <laughs> hold up. I think I'm pretty good right here. <laughs> I don't know about this heaven thing, but I'm comfortable right here. I'm good. I'm not ready for the journey. That's why he can't show us the whole thing. It'd overwhelm us. If we saw the whole thing. 
Letter B, focus on his word for direction and hope. Psalms 119, 105, it's one of my favorite passages of scripture. It says, your word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now here's where this gets really, really good. Their lamps were not like our lamps. They had these little candle lamps or these little oil lamps. And so you would light that thing and in the dark, it might give you enough to see maybe 10 feet, 12 feet maybe, circumference around you, maybe. It only gave you enough to take the few next steps, but you could take those steps in certainty because you could see where you were going. And it says that that's what this does. And then when it talks about a light unto your path, it's really cool. Man, I encourage y'all, jump into the, get on Google and look up the Hebrew on some of this stuff. It's awesome. That word for, for light unto your path, it talked about the amount of light in a day. It's called, it says daylight, but it's speaking in reference to the time frame. It's the amount of light in one day. We get in this thing and he gives us enough to get through every day. But then you gotta pick it back up tomorrow and get back in it and get you some more light for tomorrow. It's what happens. And when it's dark around you and you don't know what's going on and all of a sudden you hear that, man, is that a lion I hear roaring? What is going on out there? I don't know what's happening. You can turn some light on it and then go, Oh man, that's not a lion. That's just an imposter roaming about roaring like a lion. That ain't no lion. But you gotta shed the light of the word on it. So jump into his word and he'll give you hope and direction while you're on the journey. I said it last time I preached. You need to find your promises, by the way. It's a book of promises. You need to load you up on some. The time's coming when you're going to need them if you haven't already needed them by now. Mm. Number four, we're going to spend a little time here. It's a good thing because that's all I got. Fear is an obstacle between you and the promised land. Fear is an obstacle between you and the promised land. Exodus 14, 10 through 12 and verse 15. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. Another translation, it was either the Living Bible or the Message says, they looked up and saw the Egyptians and they were frozen in fear. And they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to this desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Meanwhile, here comes all the Egyptians trying to come and get them. They're sitting here belly aching. That's crazy. And then look at verse 15. I love verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites Move on, keep moving. He didn't tell them to stop. So they see the enemy coming, they get scared, they begin crying out to God, but look at what they did. They didn't ask for direction. They weren't praying. 
They started whining and complaining is what it says. They freaked out. But I love what God does. God looks at him and he says, hey, don't just stand there, man. Move. I didn't tell you to stop. But isn't that what fear does? Think about it. Think about a time in your life when you've been afraid. I can think of a time in my life. Man, and that fear just became crippling. It's almost like, you know those goats? Those goats that they start running and then they get scared and all of a sudden they lock up and they fall over and they can't move and they're on the ground. And then what do they start doing once they hit the ground? Blah, blah. That's what the Israelites did, look at it. They were frozen in fear and they started, blah, you brought us out here to die, blah. They were freaking out for no reason at all. <laughs> Isn't that what we do? Think about it. Look, <laughs> Romans 14, 23 says that anything that's not born of faith is sin. Look at what started popping out of them. All those words that they, that they said. There wasn't any faith in those words. Truth is, if you go back and read the account, they didn't tell Moses, leave us in, leave us in Egypt. He came and said, what was going to happen? And a couple times they rebutted, and then they were like, wait a minute. Lamb flowing milk and honey. Getting beat every day. Right, let's go. That's what they wanted to do. They just wanted to play some blame game and put it off on somebody else. They needed to step out in faith. When you find yourself in that place, step out in faith. Here's something that I've learned in my life. Now look, don't take this to the bank for you. Pray about it, see what God says. I've gotten to a place that when an opportunity presents itself, if fear strikes up in my heart, I immediately go, yes, I'll do it. I got that, I'll do that. Because God doesn't give us a spirit of fear. So if I'm feeling fear, then where'd that come from? Came from the devil. It didn't come from God. Now, I'm not talking about throwing caution to the wind. I'm talking about fear. There's a difference. Okay, when that fear and you feel it trying to cripple you, man, in my life, I'm just telling you, that's when I go, all right, let's do this thing. I took my boy to the fair. It was a mistake. I'm too old to be riding those rides. I'm just saying. <laughs> And he's like, here, Dad, let's jump on that one. I'm like, boy, duct tape is holding it together. There's bailing wire hanging out of that thing, and it goes 150 feet in the air. And he's like, I know. <laughs> I was like, all right, let's go do this, man. You got to embrace it. And here's why, letter A. God loves us too much to leave us full of fear. I may not get through these tonight, guys, but that's okay. God loves us too much to leave us full of fear. 1 John 4.18. In the Amplified, it says, there is no fear in love. Dread does not exist. But perfect, complete, full-grown love drives out fear because fear involves the expectation of divine punishment. Hang on to that. The expectation of divine punishment. We're gonna deal with that. So the one who is afraid of God's judgment is not perfected in love, has not grown into a sufficient understanding of God's love. God loves us too much to leave us slaves to fear. He loves us too much. How do you combat fear? You gotta overcome it. So he's gonna give us ample opportunity to overcome fear. Think about it, when your kid falls off a bike, what do you tell him? You gotta get back on that thing. You gotta get back on it. 
And pretty soon they're not afraid of it anymore and they get back on it and they learn to ride it and there's no fear in their heart anymore. And my son will go ripping down hills 900 miles an hour on his bike in a pair of shorts and flip-flops with no shirt on. I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. But he's had his spills, but he's learned not to fear. And God loves us that much. First John 4:18 that we just read, it says that it just might be that you're afraid because you think that in the wilderness, God's taking you out there to punish you, to deal with something in your past. You may be looking at the wilderness and going, oh, no, 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 I'm not going out there. I remember that time in the third grade, I pulled little Susie's pigtails in class and payback is out there. It's not happening. I cheated on my taxes in 1974. I'm going to get judged out there. It's fear. But here's what we're going to see. God doesn't punish his kids. Okay? I'll prove it to you. It's in the Bible. I'm not saying it. After Jesus came, there is no more punishment. There's discipline, but discipline and punishment are not the same thing. Okay? I gave you the definitions in your notes. Definition of punishment. A penalty inflicted on an offender through judicial procedure. You violate the law, you go to court, the judge says, 20 years in prison. That's the penalty for what you did. You're paying the price. That's what punishment is. That's not what discipline is. Look at Romans 5, 8 through 9 in the Amplified. But God clearly shows and proves his own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, since we've now been justified, declared free of the guilt of sin by his blood, how much more certain is it that we will be saved from the wrath of God through him? He poured out all the punishment at the cross. He doesn't punish his kids. There is no more price for your sin. Jesus paid it. There's not a price that you can pay for your sin anyway. But I think that so many times we get stuck in that thing and we start trying to punish ourselves and make ourselves pay for something that's going on. Man, I've got a brother that was telling me one time, he, he called me, he had cancer. He hadn't been saved very long. And he had cancer. And as I began to talk to him, he began to tell me in his mind, he had concocted this theory that God put cancer on him to punish him for walking away from him when he was 13 years old. What? No. It doesn't work that way. So if you've been holding on to something, just accept the full payment that Jesus made. Let it go. You're punishing yourself for no apparent reason. Discipline. Discipline is training that corrects, molds, or perfects the mental faculties of moral character. That sounds a whole lot different than punishment, doesn't it? Says that discipline comes in to correct and help you grow. That's what discipline does. That's not punishment. Think about when you're supposed to say, oh, that guy, he, lead, he leads a disciplined life. She leads a disciplined life. It means that you put some things in place to help yourself grow and it's uncomfortable for a season, but then you reap the benefits from it on the other side. That's what Hebrews 12.10 tells us. I won't read it. I gave you the scripture. Check it out when you get home. I didn't make it up. God put it right here. So let me give you a couple of ways to get past the fear. Number one, recall the miracles of the past. 
Recall the miracles of the past. In Exodus chapters seven, eight, nine, 10, and 11, we read about 10 plagues that got poured out in Egypt to set the stage for the Israelites to get out of Egypt. The first three were really more of an annoyance than they were uh, devastating, if you will. They had to go dig for water, that was inconvenient. Then there were some frogs. Hey, I just had me a big frog leg fry, I'm just saying. But it's just inconvenience. Then, some, then there were some gnats, okay? But then the next seven were horrible. The next seven, people died, animals died, all the crops were lost. And the Bible records that those seven, they didn't come near the Israelites. They didn't get touched by it. You just need to recall those miracles. All of us have miracles in the past that we can remember to keep us from fear. God has never let you down. I know he hadn't. If you think he has, come see me afterwards. I want to talk to you about it. He's never let me down. And then number two, remember you're not alone. Remember that you are not alone. Exodus 3.8 says that I have come down to rescue them. God himself came down. Isaiah 7.14 says that, that unto us a son will be given and he'll be named Emmanuel, God with us. God made a way to come and be with us through all of this. You're not alone. That's a lie from the enemy. God is with you. Number five, God's plan is the promised land. God's plan is the promised land. Leviticus 20 and 24 says, but I said to you, you will possess their land. I will give it to you as an inheritance, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has set you apart from the nations. He didn't question anywhere in there. He said, I'm gonna do it. So just remember your promise. He gave it to you already. It's done. And look, he's taken us to a good place. He's not taken us to the hood. He's taken us out of the hood. That's what he's doing. It's a good place. It's the promised land. Letter A, God's best lies ahead. So quit looking in the rear view mirror. Quit looking in the rear view mirror. I put several scriptures there. Exodus 14, 10 through 12. Exodus 16, 3. Exodus 17, 3. Numbers 11, 5. Those are all references that every time they bumped into a little trouble, Let's just go back to Egypt. I just want to go back to Egypt. There is no going back to Egypt. The return route is closed. The Red Sea came back down. You can't go back to Egypt. You wouldn't be welcome there anyway. I heard a preacher say it this way. You can't backpedal to your blessing. You got to keep moving that way. Number six, why the wilderness? Well, if we still haven't figured it out, why the wilderness, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to give you a couple reasons why. Letter A, the wilderness experience gets Egypt out of us, not us out of Egypt. We are in the world, but not of the world. God's got to get Egypt out of us. You see, Remember those scriptures we just referenced? They had a slave mentality still. Every time they bumped into something, 
They would prefer to choose to go back to slavery and misery than to believe that God was gonna do something great for them and with them. Because they had so much Egypt in them. They'd been slaves for so long. The memory of being prosperous was just a vapor that was whispered by the elders. They couldn't remember it, and so God had to get their hearts back in the right place to where they thought like children of God. It's that way for you and I. He's gotta get it out of us so that we think like children of the king because guess what? Every single one of us in here is gonna get to be a Moses to somebody. And you gotta think like a child of God because if you're still thinking with slave mentality in here, when you start leading somebody, they bring up Egypt and you're gonna find yourself going, oh yeah, let's go back there. So you can't think like that anymore. You gotta think like a child of God and Egypt's gotta be out of the heart. Letter B, the wilderness journey exercises our faith. It exercises our faith. I gave you several scriptures, Exodus 11, two through 12, 35 and 36. God funded the journey. On the way out, God gave them money to get out of there, the Egyptians did. Exodus 16, manna and quail from heaven, but only enough for each day. They had to trust and count on God each day for their food. Mm. Exodus 17, six, water from a rock. That, think about that. Moses smacked a rock and enough water came out of it for over a million people and all those animals. That's crazy. It was a faith-building exercise. Deuteronomy 8.4 says their clothes didn't wear out. They were out there 40 years. Says their clothes didn't wear out, and check this out. Their feet didn't swell or get blisters. Man, I don't know about you, but I can't hardly walk from here to the gathering place without my feet swelling up on me. 40 years, no Air Jordans, and they didn't get any blisters, and their feet didn't swell. Think about that. That's a big deal. It was all faith-building exercises. When it all started, they didn't have enough faith to believe that God was gonna carry them through that water. But by the end of the journey, when they got to their first encounter in the promised land at Jericho, they had exercised their faith so much that God looks at them and goes, all right, here's the game plan. Everybody huddle up. We're gonna take a bunch of guys and see that big city with them walls that are so big that they're running chariots around on top of them? Well, we're gonna march around it. And then you know what we're gonna do on the last day? <laughs> we're gonna blow some ram's horn trumpets. You're gonna yell. The walls are all gonna come down and then you're gonna run in and take the city. And they were like, yeah! They couldn't believe to get across, or, across the Red Sea at the beginning, but their faith was built and it grew. Think on this. Is it really faith if it's never tested? The quality of our faith is strengthened when we go through these moments in time. And then last but not least, let us see, God calls us to the wilderness to speak gently to us. Hosea 2.14. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. This is God speaking, allure who? His bride. And I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. You see, the wilderness is defined as a desert or desolate place. So why the wilderness? because God takes us there so that he can get right there with us and we're not distracted by all the gizmos, the gadgets, the noise, the hustle, the bustle, and he can speak tenderly to us there and love on us and then we grow to realize we can trust him. 
That's why the wilderness, the distractions are gone. You have to focus on him. So don't fear the wilderness. Embrace it. Luke 5, 16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. If you take the Greek for lonely places and transcribe it over to the Hebrew, guess what it is? Wilderness. Jesus withdrew to the wilderness. His first trip in the wilderness came when he came out of the waters of baptism and he was out there for 40 days and he was tempted and tested. And it says that after that time, that when he came out of that, that he came out in power. And his public ministry started that day. And then every time you read through the New Testament, when you see one of these moments where they went into the wilderness, where he went into the wilderness and prayed, every single time, check the facts on it, he then stepped into another miracle. He then stepped out into the public and laid hands on the sick and watched blind eyes open. He led people to the Father, all empowered, and then he'd go back into the wilderness. So embrace the wilderness. Don't run from it. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.